Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast, where I go in-depth with the most intriguing people in the world of soccer. Just a quick reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. This week, Allie Wagner, my colleague at Fox Sports, joins me to talk about being the first woman in U.S. English language TV to commentate games in the Men's World Cup. We discuss how she prepares for games, what led her from the playing field to the TV booth, and how she feels about making history. Onward! Our guest today is Allie Wagner, who's in studio here in New York with me. She's going to be calling the World Cup for Fox Sports Television here in the U.S. Allie, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Beautiful studio, by the way. Thank you. And thank you for not saying anything about me sweating profusely (laughs) as we came in here and I was in a rush uh, coming from the subway. It's a hot day here in New York. I Uh, thought it was just my effect on you, Grant. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So you are doing something that is historic, um, which I've been working with you long enough at Fox to, it, it kind of, I didn't think about it at first right. that, right. you know, you've been calling games and doing studio for Fox for a few years now, but they weren't men's World Cup games, right. I guess. They were Women's World Cup, Copa America, uh, Confederations Cup last right. year. Um, do you feel like you're? this is something that is a big deal to be making history as one of the first women at this World Cup to be calling games? You know, it's interesting when... Yes, I think it is. I think it's a really big deal. But I, for me, when I think about it, it's that I'm actually calling men's World Cup games, not even about being the first woman to do it on the, in English language in the U.S. It, it's, you know, you think of the World Cup as the coup de grace for football. And the men's, you know, this year is obviously the biggest. The women's next year will be the biggest thing. And to be a part of it is massive. And then you think, I think of like the voices that I've always heard calling matches. I mean, they they stick out in my brain. Mm-hmm. And to be able to say that, you know, I'm going to be one of those voices that people will hear that are shaping their experience in the biggest sporting event in the world. It's, it's a really uh, daunting, exciting, and pretty cool thing that I think we're about to embark on. Now, we all saw you as a player for many years with the U.S. women's national team in particular. Right. Um, what's sort of your path from when you stopped playing to getting into calling games? Uh, so when I stopped playing, I really didn't think – I never wanted to go into coaching. I really didn't think that I'd ever be back in soccer except to play Sunday soccer, play indoor, you know, to have fun because mm-hmm. I still love the game so much. And then I – always obviously watched it and I would found myself sitting on the couch and commentating. I didn't realize I was doing it, but my, then my family would chime in and go, you need to be a commentator. Why aren't you a commentator? I go, what? I, I couldn't do that. No, no. And then one day I had, I worked at Lululemon. I had quit. I, this is all after my retirement. Huh. I, I said, you know what? I want to see if I can do this. And so I just went to my college, Santa Clara University, and I asked if I could call games for them uh, through the internet. And sure enough, I did. And then I kind of got my chance to do the Women's World Cup. I'd never called a real game on TV. And Michael Cohen introduced me to David Neal. David Neal brought me down for a quick test. David Neal, who runs Fox's World Cup broadcast. Yes. Sorry. Thank you. Um, and and so I did my my tryout. And then they he hired me on the spot. And sh- next thing I know, I'm calling a U.S. Women's National Team friendly right before the World Cup. And then I'm doing the Women's World Cup. 
So it was a really big whirlwind experience for sure. But it was nothing. I never set out to be in TV or to be commentating on matches. That is fascinating. I mean, even when you were a player, and I remember covering you as a player, you were someone I would go to if I wanted someone to talk about what specifically was happening on the field or tactical stuff. Or, or someone who just speak her mind. Or that as well, <laughs> which know. can be useful to print journalists like me. Um, I'm your pawn. <laughs> and and there, I would just say this, not every player do I go to for something like that. You sort of establish Thank a you. reputation as people, you, you know, I can go to that person after a game and get something that will be very insightful and usable. Right. Um, and so... It doesn't necessarily surprise me that Ugh. you've gone this route. Yeah. It does surprise me a little bit that you didn't want to coach, though. I, well, it's funny. I mean, now that I've gone this route, and you cannot imagine the hours that I have spent analyzing matches at this point, now I think maybe I do want to coach. Oh, and nice. I I am fascinated by it. I, you know, meeting with coaches at Pochettino over in Tottenham, there's, there's people along the way that that you start to go, wow, this is really fascinating, interesting. And I think the ways that coaches let me down or managers let me down, I feel as though I want to maybe be that manager that doesn't do that to players. And so there's an element within um, obviously the tactical side, but also the personnel side that I, I would consider doing in the future. But okay. the tactics are what are so interesting to me. Okay. So you mentioned Pochettino. I want to hear that story and about like the, some of the preparations that you've been going through over the last few months to get ready to call this World Cup. Oh, I haven't seen my family. Uh, I've locked myself. No, I'm kidding. It's like it's been insane, Grant. I honestly, I I cannot tell you that I did not know it was going to be this much work. The hours that I've put in, I've pulled up. We have a great tool in Y Scout, and we can pull up matches. Um, from qualification, from friendlies, um, I can uh, analyze individuals and the hours. Right now, I have 16 teams. I have prepped for 17. So, if you consider that I've probably put in, I would say a good 15 to 20 hours on each of those teams. Wow. It it adds up really quickly. Uh, I don't even know if that that does work in the amount of time, but it's somewhere <laughs> around there. Yeah. And I just take notes. I take handwritten notes. And I try to pick out patterns mm-hmm. and and then tendencies of players and individuals. And it's all written down. And now I have to go back and sort through it and figure out what works, what doesn't. And, and then you have to also look at the rosters, how many things get shaken up, get changed, tactical nuances. Serbia, you know, they always play their 3-4-3 three, three in qualification. Now they're adding, as their coach said, plan B, going into a 4-3-3. Three, three. They want to have that wrinkle. And the new faces that had really good seasons in 2017, 2018 that are bring, being brought into the fold but have very few caps. So how much do they change each of the tactics and of the teams? And what are typical sub-patterns? I mean, these are all things that we have to know. Mm-hmm. So when we go into the game prepared and then we can kind of have a, a good base to assess then why things are working, what's not, what's changed. So I remember you posting on social media – uh, you had gone to England at one point right. a couple of months ago. Was that when you met Poach? Or, it is, okay. yeah, yeah. So yeah. what's the story? So I went to England to – I knew that I was going to be doing the Men's World Cup, and I always wanted to get over to England get or get to Spain, get to Germany. So I wanted to go watch some of the top teams in the top leagues around the world train and see what they focused on. I was just curious. What does it look like? And – so I went out and I saw – I went to Man U's. I, first of all, I saw 
exciting matches, which was ridiculous. Those were my first EPL games. I saw Holy Liverpool, yeah. Tottenham, yeah. Um, saw some really good ones. But I went out to Man U's training sessions, saw their facilities, and that was fascinating. We can delve into that. Um, then Arsenal was really accommodating as well, and I went through – they took me through their how their scouting reports, how they analyze – Heading into matches, what they show the team, um, got some dirt there, and then <laughs> went to Tottenham. And they were, Pochettino was amazing, and his whole staff, they sat with me for hours, and and we just talked football and, and looked at certain things that they do tactically. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, they were just, they were amazing. So it was a really great experience, I would say, from, from all the clubs letting me in and giving me a peek under the curtain. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, you want to write about this sometimes? <laughs> it's kind of a cool story. That's your job. <laughs> I um, will. I would absolutely. Now, you're going to be working with Derek Ray during yes. the tournament, who is one of my favorite announcers out there. Uh, in that's addition to you. one of the voices that's imprinted in my head. Yeah, exactly. Cups, for sure. Um, how has that worked in terms of you and he sort of kind of working on your partnership leading up to the tournament? Uh, you know, I think it's going to be something that's going to evolve, to be fair. You know, we've done a couple practice matches. And so we really, I think, develop, started to develop our chemistry after the third one. We're going to do the U.S.-China match um, mm-hmm. on June 7th for the women, mm-hmm. um, which is actually one year to the day that we kick off for the France World Cup for Ooh. Yeah, uh, for the women. And so we're going to do that match. So that'll be our fourth match together. And it's certainly like any relationship and partnership. It's going to we're going to get better and better and better with each game. And he's he is spectacular the way he calls it. I mean, I love his phrasing and what he sees because he's he's certainly a student of the game as well as just giving the direction and shape of of what's going on. So I think it's going to be fun. And I think you know, we'll challenge each other in, in a really cool way uh, and hopefully hopefully create something that you and the rest of the audience like to hear. Yeah. Is it true that he calls embassies to find out, like, he'll call the Bulgarian <laughs> embassy to find out how to pronounce a Bulgarian person? You know, I actually feel bad for him because I am the worst with pronunciation. <laughs> so the when we get into a room and we go over our pronunciations, I mean, he, he looks at me and he just goes, well, you can say it like that if you want. <laughs> I am the worst and he is by far the best and he does call embassies. He is a stickler for it. And I think my only saving grace is that he has an accent and I don't. So at least we're not coming from the same place. And so that's going to be my cop out with whenever we pronounce something so different. Uh, so I don't know how if all of my listeners know, all of our listeners here, uh, that you have four kids and mm-hmm. that includes triplets. Yes. And what are their ages? So my triplets are the same age. Yes. <laughs> Just kidding. Right? <laughs> They're four. They'll yeah. be five in August. Okay. And then my baby girl's two. So she'll yeah. she'll turn three in December. Okay. So I remember working but with she's you. She's pretty much a teenager. <laughs> I remember working with you uh, in Canada during Women's World Cup, and you had three kids then. Yeah. Uh, but they were all there. Uh, yeah. Your husband was there. Um, how is that going to work mm-hmm. for you during this tournament? So 
they're not invited. <laughs> you think I'm kidding? No. I mean, my schedule is so ridiculous through the group stage yeah. that honestly, it, it's game or a, you know, I'm prepping for the next day. I mean, I almost have a game every day. Mm-hmm. And then we do have some night stuff that we're going to be doing. I'm sure we'll be doing hits from the, um, the studio as well. So it's so jam packed. And then to prepare to watch the matches on one day, prepare for my game the next. It, I really wouldn't have time to even enjoy them or or be, if you will, a good mom and be present and interact. So, you know, when I when I head down uh, to the studio, I'm going to see them maybe two weeks later. And that's when when things lighten up is when I'll reconnect with them. And of course, FaceTime, but they won't be there during this. FaceTime. Is yeah, a good thing. it would be a massive distraction. And, and really, I mean. The stress that any mom feels, any dad feels when you're at home and you know that you have to get something done for work and yeah. you're trying to take care of your kids, that can just sometimes get you. So I'm trying to limit that. I also think, too, like my everyone asks my wife, like, are you going to Russia? And she's like, why would I go to Russia when my husband's going to be working his butt off? Yep. The whole time, I'd rather spend time with him when we're both on vacation. Exactly. No, yeah. exactly. It's fair, right? And. And if my kids come down, that means my husband comes, and then so then he's not working. So I'm with you. Um, so, as is the case in other soccer realms these days, like you know when Ray Hudson and Phil Shane call all their Barcelona and Real Madrid games, they're calling from Miami off a monitor. This right. is pretty common at this point in the sport. Uh, you're going to be calling off a monitor, right, uh, with Derek during uh, this tournament from California. Uh, how are you approaching that? How do you look toward how you're going to do that? You know, it's something that I've I've definitely done before, uh, and and my understanding is we'll have tactical cam, so we're gonna I'm gonna be able to see the whole field and analyze the big picture, the way things are evolving, the way I would if if I'm. It's not, of course, the same, but when you're in a studio uh, versus being at the stadium, your your eyes are always roving. You're looking at the ball, you're looking at shape, you're looking at your monitor. Well, it's going to be the same thing there. I'm going to be looking at the shape and I'll be looking at the monitor and I'll be looking at my notes. And so you're, you put all this together and if, if we do our job well, you'll have no idea that we're not on site. And, and as you said, how many games do we watch at home that are being called off monitor? At almost every single game. And it is a – it's a – it's a brilliant thing to to get the excitement that comes across from the announcers, from the analysts, and and watching things unfold on the screen as you do at home. So, um, I'm wondering also too, do you have a style as a <laughs> as a a color analyst when you're you know you're calling a game? Do I have a style? I think I have. I don't know. I don't know what you would say my style is. I'm sure many people will say it's terrible, and and I'll hear that on Twitter, right? Everyone does. But my, I think my style is that I have a an imprint that happens when I watch a play unfold, and I see maybe three or four things that cause that moment to occur, and so I can quickly see it and hopefully explain it and get it across, even even if the image is gone to allow people to go, oh, okay, that's why they keep pulling them out of shape in this position. That's where they're having success. And so I think in a, to a certain extent, I, I can, I can un, unpack a moment pretty quickly and get that across to the viewer. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, that makes total sense. And when 
you're watching a game. See, I've never done this before, so I'm just curious. Yeah. Like, if you're, like, doing color on a game, are there any particular things when the whistle blows? What are the first things that you're looking for? It totally depends on the game. Yeah. So I walk into a game, my notes will... I'll have keys and considerations and things that I think will evolve and why. And so immediately I'm looking for those things. I, but when the – even let me back up. When the whistle blows, immediately you're looking at shape, right? The first 5, 10, sometimes 15, 20 minutes are a different beast from the way the game settles in. And so in those first moments, you're trying to pick up on anything that was maybe unexpected, mm-hmm. things that are expected, you know, and, and get that across to the viewer. And then, as I said, then you have your considerations for where are they trying to expose the opponent? Who who are they allowing to play out? You know, um, are they sitting in, obviously? Are they pressing? Where are they pressing? Why are they – where – you know, who are they pressing? So there's to- there's patterns, I think, that as analysts we all look for. Um, and then – and then it's anything that strikes you or that you pick up on that was uh, not anticipated. You know, those are the big moments that uh, can really shed light on on what what's evolving on the field. Do you like to call out coaches? <laughs> call them out for their decisions? Yeah. You know, I don't mind it. But it, to be fair, a coach can give a game plan and the players cannot follow it. And not execute it. So unless you're in that locker room before they go out on the pitch, unless you know what their pregame talk entailed, it's really hard to say whether this is a coach's mistake or whether, unless it's a, a clear air, you know, Carrius and the goal, Champions League final, clear errors, those are personal, personal errors. But if you're talking about tactics, and that's usually what the coach is there for, or substitution choices, you know, it's hard to necessarily say if they're following the game plan or not. Yeah. Um, but I do think, of course, if subs are wrong, um, of course you call them out. But coaches know so much more than we do, whether it's the, the the fan that reads everything, whether it's the analyst. You know, they know their players so well, and perhaps that makes them too biased at times, and they do make wrong decisions. But oftentimes they, they have a, a clear idea of why they're doing something that we, you know, may never know. Right. I thought it was interesting. I was just in Iceland last month and talking to their national team coach. Yeah, he's uh, awesome, calls right? by his first name, Hamir. Hamir <laughs> Halgrimson. Really, he's a dentist. Uh, he's not <laughs> he's... the coach of the national team. And what he does is he actually uh, talks to their media before the game. Right. In addition to the fans, he has a meetup with the fans two hours before every home game uh-huh. where he like tells exactly what his lineup's going to be, their strategy for the game. But he does basically the same thing with their media separately because he feels like he'd rather be criticized on what his strategy was before the game and wants them to know that as long as they don't give it out before publicly um, than about Monday Monday morning quarterbacking just after the fact. Right. I think that is such a good – I really think that is such a brave and smart thing to do because, as you said – if you give out the game plan before, people can go, oh, this kind of makes sense, right? right? And then game plan unfolds, doesn't work, easy easy to, to pick it apart. But I think it also gives people tools to to evaluate the performances. And they'll start to see things that they wouldn't see during the flow. And I think it's it's smart, but I do think it's brave because you're putting yourself out there for all to see. So let's talk about this tournament itself. I know you've got picks yeah, uh, I know you have. You know which games you're going to be doing uh, at least to start. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
what uh, what are your picks? So, That's Grant, I, I actually, I know, I, I there's so, uh, I, I don't like this part of it because, as we all know, anything can happen. Yes. Um, and we know the, we know the big front runners and I, I would not be shocked if any of them win. So that's, that's an easy one. But I did, I did it. I picked France to win. Wow. Maybe the most talented team overall at the World Cup. I, I think so. And depth wise, they're they're loaded. And I, I, you know, we're you get asked the question, what breakout stars? And I, I go, well, let's qualify that. What what is a breakout star? Is Kylian Mbappe considered a breakout star? Everyone knows who he is, right. you know. But I think he's going to maybe have a mass. I think he's going to have a massive tournament. I do. I think Fakir is going to have a, a good tournament. Um, so I have them in Spain in the final. Oh wow! And I have I like it. I have France winning. In the third, fourth place, I went with Germany, England. Okay, I know big, big. That that's a a big ask of England. It is, it is. It, but I think it's possible. I think this is one of the few years that uh, they're not wildly overrated. Right, heading into a World Cup. We, I, it's a young I, group too. I think that I think the difference with this English squad is Southgate has this team as as a team. Mm-hmm. And I think they've got good leaders in Kane and Henderson. And in years before, I mean, we've heard, you've probably seen, you've probably written about it with Lampard, with Gerard, that that Ferdinand, that they they were not a, a cohesive unit, that they sat by clubs when they ate and mm-hmm. that they didn't mesh. And I think with this group, it's a different story. And I, I think they're going to come together and, and surprise some people. And that's only if their back line doesn't make egregious errors. Mm-hmm. But that's a big if well you got them going to the semis I like that it's bold <laughs> uh, in terms of biggest disappointment who do you from your picks you uh, Portugal really I think they get knocked down group stage Morocco advances wow okay that's bold yeah why Morocco I, I think they're good I mean Grant I again sometimes you get so close to these things because you're researching it right. and you're digging on your teams that you get caught in the weeds but Ridiculous defensive um, side and qualification, not conceding, and then offensively, I think they're really exciting. I, I do. Ziyech, I think, is going to be a, a player that could make some moves after uh, the World Cup. But front, front six. I mean, they're really they're interplay. They get tight and they can pull the opponent out of shape. And if we've seen anything with Portugal, it's that they're vulnerable on the break. I do think Morocco is really good on the break and they can also, they can also pin you in. So I, I think they advance out of the group. Picking the European champion to go out in the group stage. I <laughs> we, like I, but no one, but no one even thought Portugal's win the Euros. So sometimes I still wonder if they actually won the Euros. I know, right? <laughs> like, how'd that happen? <laughs> Cause we're all romantics at heart and they did not, they did not swoon us off our feet. Uh. Oh, shoot, that's hilarious. Although they looked more inventive in this last friendly. I know it's just a friendly, but I thought they looked more inventive against uh, Tunisia. And you're, you mentioned 16 teams you're calling their game you've had to prepare for? Is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I actually prepared for 17 because sometimes our assignments change. So yeah. 16 teams. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot. It's yeah. a lot. Um, so you're here in New York. We're recording this on May 30th. The tournament starts on June. Are you 14th. trying to stress me out? I'm not trying to stress you out. I'm also thinking about how many days I have before I leave. Um, and I'm wondering between now and your first game that you call, is it just more preparation stuff? Yeah, I yeah. still have the U.S.-China match for the women, um, mm-hmm. and I have my NWSL matches. But it's 
It really is. Every moment that I'm not taking care of my children to get them to school, make their lunches, um, pick them up, you know, if I'm not interacting with them, I have my head down in my notebooks watching video. And now it's about organizing those notes into um, clean principles that I'll head into the matches with. So I have to sort through them um, and, and also, you know, pick up some more details on on individual players and and their experiences because you have to know you know how do these players perform in club do they perform a different role in club uh, that they do for their national team and so again that's 16 teams times 23 some of their squads aren't even cut down to the 23 Um, so it is an intense amount of overloading my brain and after the world cup i'm sure i'll forget it all (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so in 2015, you did you called games as a color analyst for Women's World Cup. 2016, Copa America, you did studio. Right. 2017, Confederations Cup, you were a color analyst for games. Which do you find? And studio at night, yeah. And studio, okay. So yeah. you've done studio and calling games. Right. Do you like one better than the other? Is it a, just a total change transition? Is it about the same? What's it like? You know, Another great question. I I love both, and I wouldn't want to give up one for the other. Um, I like the games because there are so many. What I love about football are the details and the nuances that make or break a play, uh, that make players special. So I like to. That's why I do this is to share that and to share that excitement with the audience. So I think when you call a game, you get more of those moments. Um, but. You know, there's something cool about being in studio and getting having the opportunity to sit back and watch things unfold over the course of the 90 minutes and and have a bigger perspective on it. And and to be fair, you know, you you get FaceTime and you get to have interactions, you know, visual interactions mm-hmm. with your colleagues and and, you know, play off of one another. I think that's really fun, too. In the game, you have to be pretty present right. and controlled. I think in studio, it allows for more uh, color, ironically, to, to come into play. Well, Ali Wagner, the first woman to be calling in English in the U.S. Men's World Cup Games Broadcasting. Uh, congratulations. Thank you. Looking forward to the World Cup. Thanks, Grant. It's a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Ali Wagner, as well as everyone at Cadence 13 and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Please, if you like the pod, tell your friends, subscribe, like, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help the cause if you do. And check out the 30-minute Planet Football video show hosted by me and Luis Miguel Echegaray on SITV. That's available on Amazon and Fubo TV. Recent guests include Tim Ream, Christian Fuchs, Indy Cowie, and Juan Pablo Angel. See you next time. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network? The number one daily sports podcast network. Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.